Hey everyone, it's Henry, Mike, and Chris of the Decentralists, and it's time for another hot topic. It has been a pretty interesting week because everybody's talking about the advertising boycott on Facebook. So um, I know that Mike and Chris have a lot to say about this. So, Mike, would you like to start us off? Sure, Henry, I'd love to start us off. So, um, you know, the, what we want to talk about this week is the... Uh, you know, it, it started as a trickle, I think with mountain equipment or North face, I think was one of the first ones. And it's now become a veritable deluge of big name brand companies that have been joining a, um, uh, a campaign, an online campaign called stop hate for profit that was put together by the anti-defamation league as, you know, as, uh, amongst a bunch of other folks in the United States to call attention to the idea that social media and and if you look at the Stop Hate for Profit um, site, they really are keying on Facebook here, are, are, are providing a platform for the you know, spread of hate and racism and, and misinformation. And when did that start? When did that start, Mike? Do you know? I, I am not certain, but I would say what? Stop Hate for Profit, I think the first time I saw it was about a week ago. Yeah. Okay. Maybe a maybe a week and a half, right? So it's very very recent, and I and I think it really started, you know, kind of from this from this point where uh, Facebook clearly diverged from the rest of social media when they were the kind of the one lone standout in this debate about um, censoring or or putting warning labels on the content that was coming out in political advertising, specifically from Donald Trump, um, over the platform. And so, you know, I think it was that thing where, where Mark Zuckerberg has, has consistently been standing up saying that, you know, he, he should not exercise any kind of blocking. Even if these ads are, are knowingly false, they should be allowed to go on there because, you know, that's free speech. And I think this right. is clearly, you know, uh, uh, a combination of, you know, that type of cavalier attitude with the outrage that the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement is bringing to the forefront of society and and i think what is this is this is is you're seeing an undercurrent of of people who want to use this opportunity the pandemic is providing us they want to be able to reset and they want this to be a more equal and just world no it's completely valid so fixing social media right is clearly one of them and one way to fix is to draw attention to the problems so that you can basically say hey we want you to fix this so that so the challenge is, is how effective is this going to be? So, Chris, what do you think? How effective is this boycott actually going to be for Facebook? First off, it has resulted in around 200 Boogaloo Boy pages being banned from Facebook. Well, that's a good thing. That much has happened, and that is one positive thing, because uh, th those folks um, really were calling for violence. Um, one of them was responsible for killing two policemen over in California. Um, and so the less Boogaloo Boy pages, the better. Yeah. But uh, Mark Zuckerberg himself has reported to ha has reportedly said they'll be back. So basically, I don't think Facebook is going to change their behavior, change anything for as long as they believe that these advertisers are going to be back. Yeah, you're probably right there, Chris. And that's really sad. But uh, why now? 
Why do you think they've started now? Is it is it just because of the attention to the Black Lives Movement and or Black Lives Matter and and uh, you know kind of the political advertising or what do you think it really is? I think it's actually uh, uh, more than just uh, what's happening right now with uh, Black Lives Matter. I think it's also people are fed up with the um, the political lies that have been propagated throughout uh, Facebook, and that's part of it. Chris, what do you think? It's shown to me that Facebook has been crazy, um, inconsistent when it comes to fact checking. Right. Uh, so, for example, they will not fact check what Trump says. Um, but there is a Republican anti-Trump movement called the Lincoln Project. They put on an ad, an ad that was, to most eyes, deemed factual. And Facebook decided not to run it because... Um, <laughs> it wasn't factual enough. Really? So, so there's, there's definitely a problem with inconsistency with fa- Facebook. And this mm-hmm. has been known for a long time for as, as soon as Peter Thiel invited uh, Zuckerberg um, and Trump to have lunch together, we knew this was going to be a problem. Right. Um, and we knew it was going to be a problem. Uh, as well, when when Zuckerberg basically said it's not our job to editorialize the truth, when in fact it is their editor, th- their job, they're a publisher, they they go ahead and do do that. So, you know, um, if you're an advertiser, uh, you want consistency, you want some sort of um, foundation where you where you could go, uh, where you could be sure of the message that you're that you're. Uh, trying to bring out exactly uh-huh. and if facebook can't provide that well uh, advertisers they're, they're going to want to run away yeah that's very important uh chris because i remember i used to be involved in advertising years ago and consistency is very very important they want to know if they're going to spend their money they're going to get this um uh, this type of audience and that that breadth of audience um and and the listeners or the viewers or the readers that they want and they have to uh they have to trust that that's what they're getting. Now they already have figured out Facebook is what it is. I mean, who knows how many people actually read the things, but they are getting some value, but are they getting a value enough to, um, well, Mike, you said earlier, if they decide to, to, to stop advertising on Facebook, how valuable really is it to them? Right. And, you well, know, and I think, I think clearly that is a point, Henry. Uh, sorry, Chris, I'll toss it right back to you, but I think you're, I think you're right there, Henry. I mean, I think the point you know, let's face it. I mean, advertisers, advertisers advertise for one reason to sell more stuff. And I, and I think that, you know, unfortunately, truly because of this, this is a, this is clearly to me a bit of an indication that potentially the advert, the value of advertising on these platforms. And let's say specifically at Facebook may not be as high as, you know, people tend to think it is. I think there's money that's spent, but big brands, Facebook is a place to build a community. It's not necessarily a place to advertise and, uh, you know, as their number one criteria. And I think because of that, um, you know, they have a bit of leeway here to try to push a political agenda to keep the platform as agnostic as possible so that their message doesn't get confused or, you know, kind of interrupted. So I used to be in charge for ad for Facebook ad buys for a, a major national corporation. Oh, um, here's my experience. Okay. So, uh, I put up an ad. It was a, a very simple ad, um, not too complex, but, uh, 
here's what Facebook does. They have an ad network. So when you buy a Facebook ad, um, it doesn't, by default, it doesn't just show up on Facebook itself. It, it shows up on their ad partners. And here's the problem. They don't tell you who their ad partners are. Yeah, who are their ad partners? Like, I've never heard it of that. Well, let, you t- let me tell you what happened. So I put up an ad uh, up, and the ad ended up on Breitbart. Oh, really? That's right. It ended up on Breitbart. And as soon as it ended up on Breitbart, we got inundated um, with emails from folks who were telling telling me that they were going to boycott us for uh, advertising with Breitbart. Wow. Um, and, you know, basically, uh, wh- wh- what could you say, right? Um, because... Hey, we 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 chose to advertise with Facebook. We couldn't choose where the the ad ended up, but uh, Facebook decided, hey, you know, uh, Breitbart is it, it, it just automatically that's where our ad was going to show up. So so we, you know, my client they they had to dial back the the Facebook ad spend. You know, that's just just for one second. That's fascinating, Chris, I find, because in traditional advertising, as you may know, um, if you buy a TV spot or a spot in a newspaper or a radio spot, um, not only do you pay for that individual spot, but you're able to choose virtually the exact time that it runs. Exactly that. So this is a major flaw with Facebook advertising. And if I were a brand, uh, I would I would have pulled advertising from Facebook years ago. In fact, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they're fed up right now. So, so why do you think they stay, Chris? I mean, you know, like honestly, this can't be a, a, an isolated incident, right? Clearly, some of these brands that are currently in boycott have probably had that phone call or those email threats. Why are you advertising on Breitbart or some other, you know, kind of right wing site? So, so why are they still there? What was, what did you get on the back end out of Facebook that maybe you don't get when you're buying it from a television station? Well, statistics can be very addictive. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, when you, when you see that graph, when you see that graph that says, Hey, you reached this many people. Um, they saw your ad for this amount of time. Uh, Is it something from Facebook that they provide to you? It, it's a service, right? Because okay. because with traditional advertising for radio and and uh, and television, they can't exactly tell you how many people specifically saw your ad, right? Mm-hmm. Like they could give you estimates based upon Nielsen, um, but that's not it's it's not exact numbers. Correct. Exact numbers is what Facebook can provide you. Um, and they could provide those numbers, not just um, on based upon um, how many people serve Facebook, but uh, there's a thing called a Facebook pixel. And if your web website has a Facebook pixel, Facebook could tell advertisers, well, th- this is the amount of, of, of people that, s- that saw your ads on, on our partner websites. Okay, wow. so that's mm-hmm. that's very addictive. If you're an advertiser, to to know how many people exactly saw the ad and how many people um, follow through followed through with a click to your website, right. right, right, and that's that's the reason why why advertisers don't entirely want to leave Facebook because because up until the Googles of the world and the Facebooks of the world showed up. 
nobody was able to say for sure whether or not um, their ads were effective. This stuff is fascinating, right? Because I, I can imagine the very first brand that received a presentation from Facebook that showed them the statistics. It must have just blown their mind. You know what I mean? Because it would be incredible insight. But but there are, you know, clearly the insights either have changed or are not as valuable or, you know, I mean, we've, we've had this discussion, I think, even on this podcast before about the fact that, um, for example, up to half of the people on Facebook, up to half of the theoretically the results that come from the pixel are fake. Well, the, the way I liken it is... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is basically the wizard from the Wizard of Oz. He looks high and mighty. Um, but a lot of this stuff is based upon an illusion. And oh. the illusion is specifically Facebook statistics. So Facebook will, will show you stats about reach. Facebook will show you stats about likes, influence, all that other stuff. But the only, from an advertiser's perspective, the only statistic that truly matters is did, did my revenue grow because of it? Yep. Um, you know, and Henry, Henry, you could attest to, to this uh, uh, living in the advertiser world, right? For sure. That's, that's the, that's the number one statistic that should, should matter. Um, let me give you an example of, of why stuff like reach on Facebook is, is an illusion. So uh, about a few years ago, I, I noticed that, that uh, video on, on Facebook, reach for video on Facebook exploded, right? And so I'm looking at these stats and I'm thinking to myself, wow, video must be super effective. Well, I decided what, what, to see what, what uh, a view meant for video. Right. Um, on Facebook, from Facebook's perspective, a view is somebody glanced at your video for one second, Oh, so they're okay. Okay. So in other words, instead of just looking at a static ad, if the advertiser provides a, a video type ad, then um, it, 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 Facebook is claiming that it's much more effective. That, that's, what, that's what they're claiming. Now, now, the problem with one second equals one view is, well, if you're scrolling down a feed and you pause just for, for a moment to, you know, move your thumb, that, that now counts as a view. Yeah. See, I, I wouldn't count. I wouldn't count that. Who would count that? Who counts one second? Yeah, well, yeah, and that's how you skip ads too. Well, but this is what I'm saying. I mean, this is this is ludicrous, right? So, so, so it basically, you know, getting a getting a pie chart that says you've got reach that of eight million views of one second. What does that mean to you? So, Chris, back to your story, which which sorry we jumped in there, but you 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 discovered that there's some great numbers for reaches for video. Then what'd you do? It, it made me question. Well, is video really that more effective than? than other forms of, of advertising on Facebook. And I asked, well, why, why is Facebook, you know, creating this narrative of, of video being more effective than other, than other forms of advertising. And uh, what, what it came down to is that Facebook is trying to compete with YouTube. So they had to create, to create uh, uh, basically they had to prove to, to advertisers that the, their video ads are more effective than 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 YouTube ads, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, you know, so th this is a, this is this is once again the problem with 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 stats. They're illusory. Yep. Right. Uh, Zuckerberg is the wizard, you know, and he he's just making the illusions. Okay. So then, let me ask you a question: Can they live without these stats? 
can we go can we go back to a world where let's say let's say I call it something like the golden age of advertising you know where I mean I remember advertising when you know it was literally this game competing for people's attention and so the ads were fantastic you know and and there were lots of awards and there were things like this whereas now yeah 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 you like super bowl and come up with a production that really engages you and actually that's what sells a product not just a quick view of this and that because our brains have evolved because we we've, we've been you know bombarded by media for for decades to ignore that but if you get something that engages you like a great ad with creative um a wonderful creative you're sold uh, Henry, you, you are 100% on point. Um, my mentor, the, the fellow who, who got me into the social media industry, um, he really pushed a, a motto onto me that has become my, my life motto when it comes to content on the internet, which is F, and you know what I mean by F, F stats make art. Oh, nice. I like that. I, I think we all need to, to get back to making art, right? And I think we need to, to come at this from a, an angle of if, if, if the art is amazing and we do a great job with content, then the stats are going to follow, right? Right. But you, you can't make stuff just based upon stats, Right. If you make if you make stuff based upon stats, you can always fake stats. I I can pay somebody overseas to view my video uh, five thousand times. Right. I can buy followers. Okay. I I can buy clicks. Right. If 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 all this advertising is just about showing my boss. That, that I'm able to get stats. Well, what, what's to stop me from just, you know, paying five bucks to, to, to some fellow to give me the stats I want. Right. So, right. So, yeah, Mike, your question was, can, you know, can they manage without this? And, 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 and we mentioned, okay, it's gotta be engaging creative advertising. Um, but still that would be tough to present to people through social media. It's not a question of presenting it through social media, right? As long as the platform is centralized and somebody like, um, um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey or whoever, insert CEO name here, controls kind of what you see in your feed, then it is not really truly an advertising conducive medium, if that makes sense, right? I mean, I think that what what advertising has become, because we're now, I think it's um, a, a like 50% of the global ad spend is on digital media right now. Wow. Okay. So, so that that's, and that's probably what in the last 10 years, it's gone from, you know, maybe 5% to 50%. And it's because of these statistics, right? It's because they've been sold this bill of goods that says, because I can give you a pie chart and a little graph and all this stuff that looks really good at the end, showing that there was engagement with that content you created, um, which I control and I disseminate and I generate the statistics. So as Chris mentioned, it's easy to fix the game. I mean, if he could buy followers in, in some place, Facebook can provide them for free, right? If they want to mislead an advertiser with statistics. I mean, let's, let's, mm-hmm. let's face it. You could pay Facebook for followers. Totally. Well, this is what I'm saying. So it means absolutely yeah. nothing, right? It means nothing. So, so you could not put a context around it. So, you know, this is kind of why I, you know, I look at this as, is, is this an opportunity right, for 
real, honest-to-gosh, creative-driven advertising to become the, the, the foundation, again, of advertising. Interesting. You know, where people actually have to compete on an open platform. Um, you know, because because if you if you think about it, right, I mean, the, the, the reality, the reason why these guys have got the statistics is because because Facebook and, and, and Instagram and, you know, YouTube and all these guys have control of the throttle. Right. I mean, they can turn it on or off and what goes where and all this other kind of stuff. So you can't really now believe those statistics. So if I'm a big brand advertiser, what I I'm starting to think about is how do I kind of get back into this thing where I Nike or I Starbucks or I Coca-Cola are communicating directly with consumers um, to try to win them back? You know what I mean? Like to get them. Yeah. And so so there's you know, to me, there's there's this I'm stuck in this kind of netherland right now. Where the platform, the platforms that exist do not actually give me the ability or the ownership or the control of the method of building my community with my, the people that I want to influence. And, and, you know, like if you, I would argue that this, you know, that if we could go back to the days of of television advertising and every single TV had a box on top from Nielsen that could tell you exactly how long they were looking at your ad for they would probably rather do that, right? Knowing that it was an honest competition than knowing that Nielsen controlled the throttle to the television set. <laughs> yes, I see. In other words, Nielsen, oh, that's that's actually fascinating because you're right. In that analogy, uh, Nielsen was measuring, but they were not broadcasting and they were not creating. They were not broadcasting. That's right. They weren't the CBC. They weren't the you know, ABC. They couldn't force you to go to that channel. All they were doing was reporting what people actually did. And so remember you used to, that's why you'd have those ads. It was like Super Bowl every primetime TV show. You'd watch a really awesome ad by Coca-Cola and the next time the the commercials came on was a really awesome ad from Pepsi. Yeah. And it really made you think, you know, hey, can I, do I believe this to go and make this change? And if you could report those statistics in an honest manner, I bet you Coke and Pepsi would go back in a heartbeat. Funny, funny that you mentioned that, Mike, because, um, Probably the most effective uh, ad of all time is that Coca-Cola song from uh, from from the 1970s. Correct. Yeah, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Exactly. Um, that that ad is what 50 years old, and you you could you Henry, you're you're singing the lyrics. Well, I just did the first line. I could do the whole song, but we don't want to hear that. Of course, but but that ad's 50 years old, right? Right. Um, and the fact that you're able to sing it and, and, uh, and when was the last time that that ad was even shown? Probably in a museum. (laughs) (laughs) I actually saw it at the Coke museum in Atlanta about 10 10 years ago. (laughs) Well, well, there you go. Like you saw it in a museum 10, 15 years ago and you still remember it. I, I, I think advertisers need to get back to making art. Advertisers need to get back to, to, to finding creatives building a really compelling message. And then after they make art, good, compelling, beautiful, wonderful art, they should find the social media platform that allows them to, to state their message in the best way possible. Directly to their audience, as opposed to going through the centralized server and all of the algorithms and... Correct. Exactly. If, if you're an advertiser, you shouldn't be afraid that your ad will end up on Breitbart or, you know, will end, end up being, you know, on a Boogaloo Boy page. 
right? If you're an advertiser, you sh- you should be- you should have clarity that your message will will be will be distilled um in a way that will not be compromised. Hey, and let's take it one step further because we're getting into a really interesting place now. Okay, so let's we have a social media network now where you can you control, you kind of have to let's say compete on an equal level to be heard by people, right? To come and make a decision. But what you also now have, Henry, to take that Nielsen box analogy another level, if you basically put a Nielsen box on 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 you know kind of a television that tracked what shows you were watching and what ads, and then you gave the consumer the opportunity to talk directly to the brand right there while they watch that classic Coke ad. You mean react to the react to the message? Join the community right now. I mean, that's what that's the promise of social media, right? Yeah. The, yeah. What, what they're buying is they see these statistics. They 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 chop down their ads to try to resonate in one second. There's no room for art or creativity. To Chris's point, it's just a, these aren't they aren't advertising anymore. These aren't brands anymore. This is social media marketing and influence. And they're trying to, and, and it's because they can theoretically then communicate with people on a platform where everything is is vanilla. Whereas if you'd kind of, if we changed, if, if there was a different platform where every single engagement that you had as a brand was with a person who voluntarily was interested in your brand because they liked the, the, the solution or the product or they liked the ad, they thought it was a catchy tune. And for that reason, they're going to interact with you. Now you actually have a real honest-to-gosh human being who's going to make a purchasing decision, and you have them, you, you know, you, you can communicate directly with them and keep them and own them and improve your brand and do all of those wonderful things that brands want on in kind of um we're in a, on a network and in, in a in an environment where you don't have to worry about the guy running the network being a Breitbart supporter. Or a sociopath. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that that's screaming for a, uh, a decentralized social media platform like Peer Social's many one. Absolutely. And, and that's kind of the point. You know, one of the things that we, we kind of feel is, is going to be an important, um, you know, kind of eventuality for this is the win that it gives to advertisers and the, the kind of the, the ability it gives to, say, ad agencies who create art to step back into the ring and actually make the world a better place. All right. So, so what you're saying basically is uh, having a relationship on many one with not only your friends and associates and your family direct that you can cancel any time, but you could also, if you chose have a relationship to one of your favorite brands and you can accept messages from them or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because every connection is voluntary yeah. Right. I mean, and that's the whole point of decentralization. There's no central authority. So, this, so right. there's nobody controlling what's coming to you. So if you actually go and you and you watch a Nike ad or a Coca-Cola ad or a Starbucks ad, it's because you actually chose to do it. And that's fundamentally, to me at least, a paradigm changing event for for advertising and for brands. It, 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 as if they could, we could change, if we could make what people saw on a, on a timeline or a newsfeed or whatever, a voluntary event, 
that would increase the value of engagement yep. over a social media platform by a million percent. And it would provide room for the romance and the art and the creativity of, of that ad agencies used to bring to the mix back into the fold. Because right now you could, you know, most of the major ad agencies are going out of business because they don't have enough clients to support themselves anymore. Right. So, so Mike, Chris, when, when will the, the beta of many one be available? Oh, well, Henry, you, you always ask me that question. You always put me in a trap, but we are, you know, we, we have, I, I am cautiously optimistic. We'll have something out for everybody to try within the next four to six weeks. Uh, you know, we are hoping that by kind of the, in the summer, before the summer's over, we will be able to be, we will have many one out into the, in public hands and having people testing it. Um, and that will be the basis for a, a revolution in social media and a revolution in advertising. Very much looking forward to it. Mike, thank you so much for your insights. And Chris, man, I learned a lot from your, uh, your experience with Facebook. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. Thanks, Henry.